Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on 88.3 WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on the heart of the East End. With Long Island Local News, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM, November 3rd, 2022. Early voting has begun and will continue through Sunday. Registered voters can go to any of the selected early voting sites in their county during the early voting period. There are 27 sites here in Suffolk County. Uh, That's different from casting ballots on Election Day, November 8th. That's when voters must cast ballots at their assigned nearby polling site. Uh, I've been uh, very vocal about not putting all your eggs in the November 8th basket. If you have time, try to get your vote in uh, where you are. Uh, It can also be done at the Board of Elections uh, at Yappa and Yaphank here in Suffolk County. Voters in the general election will cast ballots for governor, attorney general, comptroller, and New York State Senate and Assembly candidates, as well as for the U.S. House and Senate. A statewide referendum will also ask if the state should borrow $4.2 billion for capital projects to address global warming and other environmental and public health concerns. Um, At Suffolk County early voting sites today and tomorrow, the polls are open from noon to 8. So in just two hours, this Saturday and Sunday, November 5th, and 6th, they'll be open all day from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Voters can see if they're registered to vote through the New York State Board of Elections portal at voterlookup.elections.ny.gov. The site will also show all 27 early voting sites here in Suffolk County, as well as the assigned polling place that the voter must use to cast their ballot if they wait for the traditional election day, Tuesday, November 8th, when polls will be open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Long Island congressional races being voted on this week promise to influence control in the U.S. House next term. In our Suffolk County listening area, there are two campaigns of note. Republican Representative Lee Zeldin vacated Suffolk County's first congressional district to run for governor. That seat is now contested uh, between Republican Nick LaLota, 43, of Amityville, or chief of staff to the Republican presiding officer of the Suffolk County Ledge, and Democrat Bridget Fleming, 62, of Noyak, who is a Suffolk County legislator. In the second district, first-term Repub- uh, Representative Andrew Garbarino, a Republican from Bayport, represents an area that has reliably voted Republican for Congress since 1993. He faces Democrat Jackie Gordon, a former Babylon town board member. And a bit about what else we're voting on right now. Again, that $4.2 billion initiative on the ballot in New York this election year. It's the largest for environmental protection in the state's history and is officially known as the Clean Water, Clean Air, Green Jobs Act. The New York Times' uh, James Barron reports that Ann Barnard, who covers climate and the environment for the Times, says if uh, voters approve the Bond Act, it would let the state invest in modernizing our infrastructure, not just for surviving in a changing climate, but for thriving. 
for cleaning up our water, flood-proofing our neighborhoods, and improving public health. Broadly speaking, the idea is to protect against climate change and at the same time stop making our pollution problems worse. This is why environmental groups are calling it a a once-in-a-generation opportunity. New York State sets goals for slashing fossil fuel emissions in a law enacted in 2019, but that law, even though it's the most ambitious one of its kind in the country, did not include specific commitments to pay for all the necessary changes and improvements. The Bond Act would be an important plank toward reaching those goals. The Bond Act would also unlock matching federal funds in the big domestic legislation that President Biden signed in August. It's worth noting that the bond also uh, targets objectives like conserving land, and 35 percent of the money must be spent in disadvantaged communities, which bore the brunt of environmental harm in the past. Environmental and climate groups are... For the Bond Act, as is Governor Kathy Hochul, Representative uh, Lee Zeldin, the Republican gubernatorial candidate, has not taken a position. The conservative party came out against the Bond Act and the Citizens Budget Commission warned about getting closer to the state's debt cap. The organizations that are for it have been running social media campaigns to remind people to flip over their ballot and vote for Prop 1 because otherwise they would miss it. Uh, reading the weather in Woodbury as we welcome on News 12, Long Island meteorologist Rich Hoffman at the bottom of the hour, looking like a sunny Thursday with a high near 66 degrees. South wind around 5 miles per hour tonight. Patchy fog, but not until after 4 a.m. So we're looking at tomorrow morning there. Otherwise, increasing clouds tonight with a low around 48 degrees. Light southwest wind. Uh, right, light south wind, excuse me, right now it's 54 degrees. We've got uh, Polyphonic Spree and the Marias, Thunderclap, Newman, Bill Withers, and Buddy Guy with Junior Wells on deck. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End. Featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
You're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio, commercial free because of listeners like you supporting us at WLIWFM.org. Marias to Thunderclap Newman hopping back to 69 to the Hollywood Dream record and we'll slide over to 72 for two tracks Bill Withers, Buddy Guy and Junior Wells
News 12 Long Island's Rich Hoffman joining me in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. I get a warm, warm summer feeling Walking through the snow Even chilly darkness Has the brightest glow 
me feeling just like a rich man heaven got a dime feeling like a young man Bill Weathers leading us to the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour on Thursday morning, a little after one if you're listening to the replay. And it's time for a special uh, Superstorm Sandy segment underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Uh, Sandy, 10 years later, premiered on News 12 last Wednesday, which relived some of the most memorable moments that took place a decade ago. Joining us to talk about 10 years since Sandy is News 12 meteorologist Rich Hoffman. Welcome to The Heart, Rich. Hi, how are you doing? Very well. So we're, we're talking about a decade ago this past weekend, a superstorm swept through that touched all of us, whether that meant lost power, lost trees, uh, a lost house, let alone the struggle to find gas, as we became very familiar with here on the East End. I, I love origin stories, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about you because Superstorm Sandy occurred around the decade mark of your joining News 12. Is that right? Yeah, I started at News 12 back in September of 2002. I'm a born and bred uh, Long Islander. I've uh, been forecasting weather for you know more than 40 years and watching different storms. And you know, I, I love the nor'easters. That was my big thing. And then you know, the older I got, tracking hurricanes because the older you get, you start to Think about what it's going to do to my house and right. home and, and you know, right. the shoreline. So, yeah, pretty amazing situation that happened about 10 years ago. You know, and and uh, as is seems very common to me with, with meteorologists, these are people who 
get, tend to get the bug early and know that's where they want to to spend their lives. And considering the fact that that you grew up on Long Island, uh, this this story must have been a big one for you. As we talked uh, on behind the headlines with other journalists in the area, I mean, Superstorm Sandy didn't hit us head on, uh, and we we got sort of the remnants of that storm, and still. The, the devastation that it caused Long Island was was huge. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the after effects and, and what it's taught us as a, a region about uh, the vulnerabilities that we really have out here? Yeah, you know, I think part of, uh, you know, Long Island, the tri-state, Connecticut, New Jersey, everybody, a little false sense of security. It's been really it was so long before we had a direct hit. Right. We got a little bit of a practice run and. Still did a lot of damage with Irene the year before, which hit Coney Island as a tropical storm of winds of 65 miles per hour, where we had flooding, we had the beach erosion. But really, the last major hurricane or hurricane in general to hit a direct hit to Long Island was Gloria back in 1985. I was in seventh grade at the time. And then we had in 1991 that brushed the east end of Montauk with, you know, 100 mile an hour winds. So we haven't really had a direct hit from a hurricane. And then four to five days out, meteorologists saying, hey, this is going to impact you know, Long Island, the tri-state region. And then to never actually technically have the eye go over Long Island and all this damage occurred, billions of dollars is damaged. It just goes to show that we have to be aware for every aspect of a storm system that comes our way. And I mean, you mentioned billions of dollars and and uh, thinking back to Superstorm to Stan- Sandy 10 years ago, um, it sort of uh, hi- puts a little highlight next to the idea that there is a $4.2 billion initiative on the ballot in New York this election year uh, that could uh, effectively help to prepare us ahead of another storm in the future. Yeah, and there's there's only so many things we can do. We know um, you know, the people in the Midwest who deal with tornadoes, right. you know, they have storm shelters. And Long Island is where are you going to go if we right. have that major storm, like a 1938 hurricane? Right. Right. That would be, you know, put in perspective, that would be similar to what uh, Ian had to Florida this year. Um, you know, Gloria was a one to two category hurricane. And then you had, you know, the 1938 was which is kind of a border of a three or four. So, you know, for us, the technology that we have to forecasting these storms and also the infrastructure is the problem as well. One of the things that happened with Sandy is that we called it the new inlet, but it was really an old inlet that, you know, breached over by Bellport. And then we had the 1938 that did breaches as well. So there's only so many things that we could do. And technology helps and also the money helps to kind of fortify our infrastructures. But we know these storms have hit once, and they're going to happen again. Hopefully it's not anytime soon, because there are still people suffering from Sandy with some homes still not being built. Isn't that some amazing? Some of the infrastructure and the money's a start. Right. Um, but eventually Mother Nature always wins out. So the question is, what is our best course of action right now? It starts with, yes, building things, but education. Right. Have the public understand when there's a storm, to evacuate. We had a lot of people who did not evacuate during Sandy, which posed a lot more problems for our first responders that had to go into dangerous situations. And understanding what happens, whether it's a nor'easter or a major hurricane, the precautions that you really do need to take. 
You know, Rich, I'm really glad you're you're mentioning this. Um, you know, we, we see it all the time down in Florida, uh, folks that uh, don't evacuate. And, then, and people will say, oh, it's not as simple as, as you might imagine it could be. But uh, just putting it out there uh, for folks, if you get an evacuation order, uh, try to heed that and, um, you know, uh, reach out. I'm sure that there are also um, support groups that help. Um, but uh, it's it's really tough when when folks put themselves in danger in those ways. Uh, I didn't remember. I didn't remember any evacuation orders. Did we have any of those here uh, during Superstorm Sandy? Uh, how did how were how yes, did those we, work? We did. Um, we we had evacuation orders. We had uh, police that went around. We had fire departments, you know, in the Long Beach area, the Freeport area. Right. Uh, the Babel and the Lyndhurst areas, a lot of the areas close to the water south of Montauk Highway. And a lot of people, you know, after the fact of the storm, it happened in Florida, it happened after Gloria, it happened after um, Irene, is that I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And, and I, imagine, that's always, I imagine that's what they that thought, so too. Often. Right. I right. didn't think it was going to be bad. There are so many different variables. Meteorologists are good to a certain point, but Mother Nature always wins. And all it takes is one little jog to the east, one little jog to the west at the last moment, which um, I, uh, you know, some of the storms were forecasted very well over the years. But, you know, there's a big difference when the landfall is in, you know, the Hamptons compared to Long Beach. The further west you go you know, compared to the further east you go on Long Island, the island has so many different small coastlines that are impacted differently depending on exact where the storm hits. And, you know, you look at the East End, you look at Montauk, you look at all the beach erosion that's right. out there. You know, I've been going out to Montauk since the 70s and looking at the shoreline compared to what it is now into the Hamptons heading into Mastic. It's a very changing shoreline. And, you know, one is money to put sand back, but there has to be other things into account that we can do. And also remember that you know, buildings can be replaced, lives can't. Amen. And on our special that's airing tonight, 10 years later, you're going to hear from people, you're going to hear from first responders that people are running to the shoreline, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, it, it's it's going to hit us, and they're right. all running away from the shoreline. Right. So, you know, it's very dangerous during storms to be near the water, especially hurricanes. Yeah, we, we, we get lucky out here, um, but I think that certainly lulls people into a false sense of security and the message I appreciate being strong is it's so much better to be safe than sorry. Uh, we got a uh, a reminder most recently with Isaiah's, which nobody thought was going to be uh, bad, but it knocked out power, so much power in four so long. Uh, you're saying, Rich, that Sandy 10 years later will replay tonight. I know that it, it premiered last Wednesday. Yes, we have it on uh, tonight at 9 p.m. And also on our website, we have a full um, page with all the videos, all the stories. And that's one great thing about the story. I think we'll hit home. When you hear these people talk about the experience, we don't have a host for it. Mm -hmm. We have the people telling the story, the first responders, nice. listening to the people in Long Beach going, hey, it's just big waves. Then the next thing you know, they're very fearful. Right. Um, people in Babylon, houses on fire. You know, I, I think sometimes people don't realize what the difference was on different parts of Long Island. You know, away from the water, yeah, people lost some trees and they had no power. But then imagine 
being in your home and there's 10 feet of water there. Right. That was some of the situations that we had in Freeport, Lindenhurst, Babylon, Massapequa, Massac Beach, those areas. So when you hear their stories, watching Sandy 10 years later tonight or going to you know, news12.com to see the stories and more information on the storm and kind of get an idea that the next storm, it's better, like you said, safe than sorry, better to take precautions to be prepared than if nothing happens, you're okay. Especially if there is an evacuation order, please, please, people, uh, do listen to these first responders. Don't make their job even harder. And as you mentioned, buildings can be replaced. Lives can't. Longisland.news12.com to check out Sandy 10 years later. A big thank you to Rich Hoffman for joining us this morning. I hope you'll come back with us. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Rich Hoffman. This is Buddy Guy and Junior Wells. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, a special Superstorm Sandy segment underwritten by William Risk Gallery on WLIWFM. can take and wash them and hang them on the side of the wall. Throw them out the window, run out and catch them a little bit before they fall. Sometimes I think you have a happy song. She said, you shouldn't say that. I said, now what should I say to make you love this time, baby? She said, um,
man who sat down and cried For your two young men, son They had a many women you got I looked at my mother, dear I didn't even crack a smile I said, if the women kill me I don't mind dying The woman I love I won a week before last The woman I love Has run out of class Thought I won your baby A long time ago You don't watch your step Gonna have to let you go She say you shouldn't say that I said now what should I say To make this man Just dying baby She said mm, I don't know Oh my Oh my And I I might get drunk and rob a bank Shoot my car if it don't crank Trying to raise on little cane Mess the wall up with some pain Might even join a rodeo Ride my horse to Buffalo Change my name to Bill I don't think I ever can't promise you I won't Some people do, some people don't Some people win, some people lose Some people never get to choose All you can do is the best you can And hope things work out like a plan I plan to stay but I might go And I can't say cause I don't know
Left you by the house of fun. I don't know why I didn't come. I don't know why I didn't come. When I saw the break of day, I wish that I could fly.
Something has to make you run. I don't know why I didn't come. I feel as empty as a drum. I don't know why I didn't come. I don't know why I didn't come. I don't know why I didn't. Nora Jones after Dusty Springfield and Bocephus Hank Williams III. I'm Gianna Volpe. We've got 10 minutes left before the NPR news break at the top of the hour. Um, if you're looking for local music, well, you found it. Mick Hargraves, I don't know why. Uh, Imagine Dragons, Gene Allison, and Fleetwood Mac on deck. Um, big thanks to Rich Hoffman of News 12 Long Island for joining us for a special Superstorm Sandy segment underwritten by William Riss Gallery and to all of you listener supporters of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
could be strangers in the night We could be passing in the shadows We couldn't be closer if we tried When we're caught in the headlights We could be faces in the crowd We could be passing in the shadows Loving the risk of being found When we're caught in the headlights Twenty-five tracks on this morning's Heart of the East End. I'm Gianna Volpe, leading you into the NPR news break with a little Gene Allison. Thanks to Rich Hoffman, our guest, and our underwriters, Greenhill Kitchen and William Risk Gallery, as well as all of you, listeners, supporters of WLIWFM. Forgive me, my 
Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on November 10th, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. With Democrat Laura Gillen's concession of the 4th Congressional District race to Republican Anthony Desposito yesterday, the GOP took control of four U.S. House seats on Long Island for the first time since 1994, midterm election cycle dubbed the Republican Revolution. Candace Ferret reports on Newsday.com that the 4th District was one of two House seats that had been in Democratic hands for years before Republicans took them Tuesday. On Tuesday, the GOP kept control of the 1st and 2nd Congressional Districts in Suffolk and flipped the 3rd and 4th Districts in Nassau with an anti-inflation and tough-on-crime message that, according to political experts and party officials, resonated strongly with Long Island voters. In Suffolk, Republican Nicholas LaLota of Amityville beat Democrat Bridget Fleming of Noyak in the 1st District race for an open seat that Zeldin is vacating. Rep- uh, Representative uh, Republican uh, Representative Andrew Garbarino, uh, Republican from Bayport, beat Democratic challenger Jackie Gordon in the 2nd District, which lies uh, primarily in Suffolk but contains a section of Nassau, and while Representative Lee Zeldin, the Republican from Shirley, lost the governor's race to Democrat Kathy Hochul, he brought out voters in Nassau and Suffolk counties in large numbers, boosting GOP candidates in local House and state-ledge races, according to party officials and election experts. To the New York Post yesterday, Zeldin said he had zero regret over the race he ran. As records show, he notched the best total vote performance of any GOP candidate since Nelson Rockefeller 52 years ago. In his first interview since conceding to Governor Kathy Hochul, Zeldin said his surprisingly strong campaign wasn't in vain because it helped the Republican Party nab other ballot victories in critical House and state Senate races. Quote, we were running as one team, one ticket, Zeldin 42 told The Post soon after admitting defeat Wednesday. I helped to bring out their voters. They helped to bring out my voters. That's what happens when you're all working together on these campaigns. 
New York GOP Chairman Nick Langworthy, who secured his own win in the Republican-held 23rd Congressional District, praised Zeldin for his Herculean effort in reinvigorating the party. Quote, Lee built a coalition of voters, the likes of which we've not seen in a generation, who want safe streets, economic freedom, and a voice in their kids' education, Langworthy told The Post. Looking at real estate local housing markets across the country have been battered by rising mortgage rates, but you wouldn't know it by browsing transactions on Long Island's east end from the third quarter. Jonathan LaMancha reports on Newsday.com that the median home price among sales in the Hamptons was $1.6 million for deals that closed between July and September, 23.1% higher than in the same quarter a year ago. On the North Fork, the median reached a record $979,500, or 22.4% higher than the median a year ago, according to data from Douglas Elliman and Miller Samuel. More sales above $5 million have helped drive up the median in the Hamptons, according to Jonathan Miller, CEO of Miller Samuel. Deals above that threshold represented about 13% of all sales in the third quarter, which was the highest share since Miller began tracking the stat in 2006. A year ago, deals above $5 million represented about 11% of all sales. Quote, we have this continued shift compared uh, to pre-pandemic of more high-end activity, Miller said. That has really been the story of the Hamptons since the beginning of the pandemic. Still, real estate firms, especially in East End sales, say that there aren't enough homes available to satisfy buyers. Despite rising prices, there were just 333 sales in the Hamptons during the quarter, which was a 16.1% decline from the same period in 2021. It was the fewest homes sold in the region since the first quarter of 2019. While there are a higher percentage of cash buyers on the East End who don't plan to use a mortgage to finance their home, uh, Hampton's buyers are still sensitive to rising interest rates, which affect their businesses and investments. That coming from Judy Desiderio, uh, CEO of Town & Country Real Estate. Town & Country has eight offices throughout the Hamptons and North Fork. On the North Fork, declining sales helped increase the supply of homes on the market. There were 110 sales closed during the quarter, which was 42.1% fewer than during the third quarter of last year. Available listings at the end of September increased by 29.8% year-over-year to 161. That's substantial growth, about double the number of homes that were on the market in the spring, but still far short of the number needed to satisfy buyers. Desiderio said, quote, while that seems like a big jump, the truth is that they should have had 400. She said the sweet spot is 450 homes for sale on the North Fork. So we're still severely low in inventory. And finally, reading the weather in Sagaponic in honor of artist Steve Miller joining us for the Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. Looking like a sunny Thursday with a high near 64 degrees. Southwest wind 6 to 10 miles per hour, increasing clouds tonight with a low around 54 degrees. Southwest wind around 5 miles per hour, becoming calm in the evening. Right now, it's 52 degrees. Um, and we've got the cherry edition of the heart uh, leading to the bottom of the next hour when we'll be speaking with Yuka Silvera um, about the cherry bombs performance coming up. Uh, we've got JJ Kale, Morning Siders, Neil Diamond, 
KT Tunstall and the National uh, in your listening future. But first, Brendan Benson from his one Mississippi record from 1996, Cherries on WLIWFM.
Jerry, I never loved you. Jerry, will you love me too? Someday I will take you. That's all I want to do. I love you forever, Jerry. Will you love me too? No, I got you. J.J. Kale leading us close to the bottom of the hour, the 9 o'clock hour on Thursday morning. That means it's time for our um, Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. It's just after midnight if you're listening to the replay. And I've got psychoponic artist Steve Miller in the studio with us right now with his gorgeous Surfing the Cosmos book. Uh, this is a book that combines science and mathematics with art in a way that is very exciting and actually changed the way that I look at or uh, imagine that I will look at art in the future, particularly Pollux, because I think it was you that explained uh, the urgency, the sense of urgency in Pollux strip, drip paintings. Am I Am I getting that right? That was you not uh, Neil or Arthur, right? And uh, and then when you look at the, at the photographs that, or what he's comparing it to, which is these knotted nests of wires in 
some South American neighborhoods that he photographs for the book. And now I can't unsee the connection. Now I'm going to forever see Pollock's drip paintings, uh, not as as lines, but as 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 lines uh, or, or wires. Um, the juxtaposition in Serving the Cosmos is between uh, chaos and order, kind of. The wires of these neighborhoods in South America compared with the wires at CERN, the largest uh, particle physics lab in the world. Uh, do you do you mind sharing with us about going to Geneva in 2012 and spending a week at the European Organization for Na- uh, Nuclear Research? Well, thank thank you first for having me. It, it's just a pleasure to be here, and and uh, it's so exciting to have you take a look at the book because I'm just equally excited. It's it's the third book of a three-part series of so it's starting with a book called radiology then something called surf skate and then this is the final book of the trilogy about energy and the environment surfing the cosmos so to answer your question about cern cern is like fireworks going off in your brain 24 7 i mean you're there you're talking to these people and the ideas that they're talking about are so abstract and incomprehensible and yet you know that there's thousands of scientists telling you that this is the nature of reality. And it's so cool because it can be made uh, into more concrete terms. I love the scientist that used that uh, uh, metaphor of the, the snow. Uh, st- y- y- sk- yeah, so go- that, that's, that's a good for story. For the and par- particle. So I, I was just really fortunate to have lunch and dinner for a week with the leading theoretical physicists on the planet. And that I'd done just... a lot of homework. I'd read a lot of books. So we're just having Just to prepare lunch. yourself yeah, to, to go Yeah, because, I mean, you know, you just can't go in there and know <laughs> nothing. Um, so there had been a movie about a, a, a meltdown on, on Wall Street, and the CEO of the company comes in front of the board. No one knows what's going on, but there's a quant, the guys that do all the math and he says to the quant, is you know, is the quant in the room the guy that quantifies all the, you know, figures out the algorithms, and the quant's there, and and the CEO says, pretend you're talking to a Labrador retriever. I thought this was you. Well, so no, so I used so I oh, used so that. You, you... <laughs> I took that scene from the movie. That is totally something I do. And I, I took it. I took thing. the movie scene to a lunch at CERN with me and four of the leading physicists from something called the Theory Group that invited me there. And I said, "Okay, explain the Higgs boson to me." And I said, "Pretend, Pretend you're I'm... talking to a Labrador <laughs> retriever." So the the one of the physicists says, "Okay, pretend the universe is packed snow." And you are on cross-country skis, and you are gliding across the snow because you're a photon, and you have no mass. So you're not interacting with that field of snow. Right. So take your cross-country skis off and put on snowshoes. Now— You're crunching in a little bit. Yeah, you're sinking in. So in relationship to the field of snow, you have more mass. And he said, take off— the snowshoes and now you're really sinking in so now in relationship to the field of snow you're moving slower and therefore have more mass and he said what we're trying to do is throw a stick of dynamite into that field of snow 
and find a particular snowflake. Amazing. And so hard. So, I mean, have they found the particle? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. They, that's that's, do that's they, a given. And then, it's, and then it's hard to, what, keep it in what, how 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 far have they gotten well, with they, their research? Well, they have definitively found this particle called the Higgs boson. So so the the book is something about that journey. The book is really about science. It's really about art. It's, it's really cool about because it's like it's an it's so it's an art book, right? But it's almost like it belongs in a a school because you learn so much from well, it. Well, I mean, the thing is, we. There's so many ways to come at it, which is it, it's not like a normal art book. So, so the, beautiful. The normal art book, which I love and grew up on, is you know you have an essay, then you have all the the artworks, you know, in sequence. You're right it, that it's very modern. So this is an attempt to reach a larger audience and really tell a story like a movie. It's really like I used to be in the film business as an assistant director, and I really saw it as a storyboard. I can know? see that. That makes so much sense. So it's a storyboard of this journey of entanglement. And it's interesting because if you're on the physics side, there's something called quantum entanglement, which I'm not going to get into. But in quantum entanglement, two different particles not in proximity to each other talk to each other. And oh, in the book, cool. you've got the favela, which is a certain type of entanglement and power yes. and necessity of energy, you know, the need for energy. And then you have oh in God, CERN, CERN the kind of abundance of energy and the need to find solutions. And what we're finding out now is that there's an incredible disdain for politics, right? You're looking at, or you can say what you're looking at right now. What Maybe I, that's I more just wanted, I would, I just wanted to say, like, what I'm looking at is, is a, 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 a a part of, of CERN, which, you know, it's probably some sort of collider or something. It's it's immense infrastructure. And then you think about what this is likely designed to do, which is, as you're mentioning, uh, doing things like trying to find a snowflake in a, a mass of snow. You know, we're talking about immense machinery that's designed to look for something that is so small that the human cannot see it with the naked eye. So that image that you're looking at Tell is me. actually, there's four detectors on a 17-mile ring. They are 30 stories underground. Whoa. And that detector, you can see a guy in the background sitting on a scaffold. Oh, I see him. So that's the scale. So that's eight stories tall. And the center line, that blue line in the center of the image is the beam line, the proton beam, which they put together, then they collide the beam, and they try to, you know, track the, the, the collisions that go through all of those different levels of tracking mechanisms, gold foil, and they understand the trajectory and the energy that's released, and also the energy that released is the... It's the mass of the particle because E equals M. But it's not really about the energy equals mass equals, uh, you know, MC squared. But the the idea really is that there's this incredible connection between um, how we all need to communicate and the necessity of global warming, which is represented in the favela where this energetic wire 
um, expression of human need. And I think that's the, getting back to the Pollock painting that you started talking about. You know, the Pollock painting, if you know Pollock's story, it's much an expression of his necessity to get something out of himself, right? I understand you know, that. Yeah. You know, there was this urgency. Do you feel that when you, when it comes to to your artistic method? And and I do before you answer that, I just want to say the layering of this book is incredible, and the connections that you make. The the uh, for example, the fact that you've got all of the the equations right layering over the wires themselves or you're putting them on 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 surfboards on longboards uh you know uh having having the tattoo element having like there's so many layers to this layering uh, even paint on top of it i just i love that i love how you connect everything together and go ahead i, I well culture painting photography books you know, they're information systems of communication and distri distribution systems to get ideas out. So that's kind of like why we like culture. And this kind of book is meant to be like a an experience, like a physical experience of looking and traveling as much as the same kind of experience you would get if you look at a painting. And so, I, And I loved it when you called it, when you say it's a storyboard. Yeah. You know, I would love to see the film. Yeah, well, I would too. If you can find a producer for it, it'd be a fun documentary to make. I for sure. Uh, speaking of which, uh, how do you know Neil? Uh, that's a local story. So um, Neil does have a place out here, as you may or may not know. Yeah. And his radio producer Helen Matzos lives out here in Southampton, and she produces his show Star Talk. And I happen to know Helen through past relationships, a collector and a dealer of mine in Paris. So I actually met her. Small world getting yeah, through smaller my French every art day. Dealer is how I met her. And um, I, you know, I'd had dinner with a few occasions. We're not, you know, best buds, but I thought. But he she would... was able to put in a request for you. Yeah. And he just has a brilliant way. Like his essay is a page and a half. And just for anybody, you know, listening, I have this rule. No one can write more than three pages. Right, because just you see a book and you see the artist interview, and it's ten pages, and you got never you're, let, right. You're, you you've uh, your eyes glaze over after. Or I'll look at it later. One. I'll put right? it on my night table. And right, and then there it stays. Yeah, and you never read it. So you know Neil's essay is a page and a half, and accessible. And he he is so brilliant, and he does the same thing that uh, that scientist at CERN did, which they have this amazing ability to break it down. To take these incredibly complex ideas, concepts, etc., and uh, put them in a way that you can really, really get into it, no matter who you are. And we're all part of that packed field of snow. Amen. Steve, you are—I um, know we, we're over time, but we got to um, promote tonight's talk at the church. Sarah Cochran, the chief curator, is going to be— speaking with you. Is that at six o'clock tonight? Yeah, that's six. The one thing I'd like to say is there will be actual paintings there. So oh, it's, fantastic. Instead, so the front cover is going to be there and the on the back, if you open up the back the, on the hard cover, just just go the outside of the book, take the the dust jacket off. Oh, take it off. Yeah. So <gasps> Oh, beautiful. So that, that painting will be there as well. So we'll have the, the but the idea is really to get involved with with the art experience and and the book is an attempt to 
offer what would happen if you looked at a painting, right? Where would your mind go and travel when you look at one of these paintings? And and the book is for the people that can't be in front of the paintings or enjoy both. So as as has been the case for the last three authors who physically came into the studio with their physical books, this is the only copy of your book on the East End. Can you talk just briefly about uh, supply chain issues, about uh, the delays I'm, I imagine you've had in getting this physical book out into the world? I'm going to make it short. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to preface it by saying, you know, we decided to do you know, keep the event because of timing and scheduling. It was just easier. We had articles in damp paper, and Annette Hinkle wrote something for the South. Oh, I read Press. that, by the way, as always, and that uh, piece is phenomenal. And you and I had scheduled this interview a few times, so it was like we decided to do the event. Supply chain is, um, in order to keep the series together and have the same printing, they were done by the same printer uh, in China. They sit on a warehouse in Shanghai. They then get on a boat eventually. Problem is, is that the warehouses are so full that you can't unload the boat until you empty the warehouse. Then there's a limited number of trucks to distribute it. And in my case, the books mistakenly this week got shipped to Kansas City. Oh, almost lucky for them if they you know knew what to do with it. But, but the good news is I, I turned it around to the event at the church is you pay to go to these events. It's it's $15, but that's the price of culture. But because there's no book, anyone that buys a book between now and Christmas gets a certificate to come to my studio, have a studio visit. Oh, that's lovely. And have the book signed. Oh, that's perfect. There we go. You can get it all done. So if you give a book, for example, as a Christmas present, I'm still obligated to give that person you give the book to a studio visit. A studio visit. tour. Yeah, so they well, can come really to the studio, cool. which is not something I usually offer. But in this case, I really want to connect, and, and I appreciate anyone that comes tonight. So that'll be the—you have to physically come to get the certificate, however. Do you—okay, but do you—so— uh, do they go online? Do they just come to the church can, at six o'clock? Yeah, you come on, come to the church at six. There'll be a talk. There's a reception afterwards. Have something to drink and eat, and then I'll give you one of these sheets of paper that will entitle you to come to the studio, and you'll get your book signed. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Steve Miller. This was the Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. Uh, these are the morning ciders. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, online at WLIW.org slash radio. 96.9 in central and west of, uh, central and western Suffolk County um, 88.3 on uh, the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut I'm going to play um, again morning ciders this is cherry on WLI WFM
Cherry tree. Ooh. 
You're listening to the Cherry Edition of the Heart of the East End on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, KT Tunstall, Black Horse, and the Cherry Tree. Moving forward to the National Cherry Tree right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. 15 minutes before the NPR news break in the next local news update. Uh, stay tuned. Take us down and all apart, cherry tree. Lay us out on the table. Leave it alone. 
discipline can we show a little discipline can we The National Cherry Tree, WLIWFM. Music from all decades and genres, interviews with folks from all walks of life, all morning and midnight long, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Uh, moving on to 10,000 Maniacs Cherry Tree. And if you were looking for local music, Hang tight. We've got Nancy Atlas Project Cherry Street coming up right here on the Heart of the East End.
chicken He's scratching round for his food And life is sweet When you live on Cherry Street Cherry Street from the Nancy Atlas Project's 2017 record Cut and Run, leading you into the NPR news break with Cherry Wine from Grant Perez, a single from last year. I'm Jetta Volpe, and I just want to let you guys know that if you were interested in seeing Steve Miller uh, checking out some of the art from Surfing the Cosmos and possibly even pre-ordering a book, um, that comes with a an invite to his studio. Uh, you can check out the church sagharbor.org for more information or just head over to the church tonight at six. 
I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Grant Perez. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio. Why are you standing on my hotel? Those shoes were made for dancing with someone else. Why don't we move over to the empty space? I'll bet you 20 bucks. I'll put a smile on your face. I know a place where we can dance the night away. Maybe we could try to make the world's best little Take our time and get to know each other over cherry wine. Well, it's too soon to give up on tonight. Oh, I haven't had the chance to show you my moves tonight. I think you'd like to see why they would call me Mr. Dynamite. I can show you while we dance. 